Over the last months, we as a community have been learning to gather around Jesus through the account of Luke about Jesus from his gospel and then in time from what comes right after the book of Acts. As we continue our journey this morning, I would like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find Bibles in the pew before you, and you can turn to page 1022. The words that I want to lead you to see are words that the Spirit of God has caused to come alive in me over the last two months, and I hope will be found helpful to you as well. Would you first join me in a prayer before I read? Lord Jesus Christ, before your death and resurrection and ascension, you promised the Holy Spirit, and that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit would give us understanding of your word, that your Spirit would lead us to become born again to be able to believe in you as the word of life and that your spirit would bring to our remembrance. But you also promised that your spirit would work in the believer in ways that would be like a river of Christ's life flowing up within them and out of them. So we pray this morning not simply for understanding, but we pray that for those of us here that are not Christians, your spirit would work in a manner giving understanding to belief and that your spirit would work so that your words live in us and cause your life to flow from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Offended by grace, part one. Follow along with me as I read these words. The disciples of John the Baptist told Jesus about, told John about all these things. That is, about all these things Jesus was doing and Jesus was saying. Calling two of them, John sent them to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask you if you are the one to come or if we should look and expect someone else. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor 
and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Ah, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John the Baptist. But the Pharisees and experts of the law who rejected God's purposes for themselves, rejected God's purposes for themselves because they were not baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, a sorrowful song, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. As I read these words, I think of the prophecy of Isaiah 52, verse 7, which is true in Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to God's people, your God reigns. As I mentioned, for almost two months now, the Spirit of God has caused the passage I just read with you to come alive in me. And the Spirit of God is not yet finished with the work that Jesus wants to do from this passage in me. When Andrew Stewart, our pastor of worship formation and preaching, first discussed this passage with Pastor Joy Kwaipan and me to help us prepare for preaching, our spirits ignited with the glories of the grace of the gospel Jesus offers in this passage. We were also sobered by the great 
daily and grave danger each of us faces to be offended by this lavish grace that Jesus is offering to the world. Since then, the Spirit of God has been winnowing me with this passage. John the Baptist promised in Luke 3 about the Messiah to come with these words. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The work that Jesus does in our lives includes this winnowing, tossing us up to separate that which is chaff in our lives, which includes pointing it out to us who often don't see it ourselves, from that which reflects the grace of the good news that Jesus wants to produce in our lives. He starts this winnowing work in us before we are a Christian's. And some of you here that are not Christians are already sensing this growing unrest within you that all is not as well in me as I thought. Jesus then continues this work in us throughout our days on earth. In the last 10 days, the fruit of Jesus' winnowing work in me from this passage has led me to speak these words from Isaiah 52 verse 7, found also in Romans 10. Whenever I hear people bearing witness to the work of Jesus in their lives in the, and in the lives of others, whether it's through their actions or through their words, whether it's something done in public or something in private, I find myself thinking and often saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This morning again, as I walked in the door and I saw the many people quietly preparing to receive us so that we might be brought to Jesus, I thought to myself, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As Pastor Joy told me about the sale yesterday and all the ways that people served Christ together, I thought, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As I gathered with the Mandarin community as they prepared for their service, standing in a circle together, I thought, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And again, as we prepared in this service, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This morning, as we prepare to celebrate in communion the lavish, abundant, never-ending grace of Jesus Christ, a grace in which the believer now stands and lives, I want to lead you into the first half of this passage, Luke 7, 18 through 23, with a desire that Jesus, through the Spirit of God, may use this passage also to winnow you. Next week, we will then look at the second half of this passage. As I lead you into this passage, it may be helpful to consider it with two questions guided by words which Jesus has only recently spoken in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 6, verse 45, Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks 
what the heart is full of. So the two questions I want to consider with you from this passage I read are these. First, what is in the heart of John the Baptist when he asks, Jesus, Lord, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And then second, what is in the heart of Jesus when he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble or who is not, who does not take offense on account of me. So let's look at this first question together. What is in the heart of John the Baptist when he asks and sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? For those of you who have walked with us over the last months into the Gospel of Luke, you already know that Luke spends a great deal of time talking about the ministry of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. We read there that, quote, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went, all, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We see in Luke 3 that the words of John the Baptist spoken were not soft words. Let me give you a couple of examples from Luke. John the Baptist, he writes, said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. How would you like it if a pastor in this church? <laughs> Probably not a good idea. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John's rebukes were not only for those who came out to the wilderness to him. Luke explains, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So what is in the heart of John the Baptist to ask of Jesus this question? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Let me suggest first what is clearly not in the heart of John the Baptist that sometimes can be in ours before I suggest what is in the heart of John the Baptist that the Spirit of God as Jesus winnows us wants to grow in our hearts. What is not in his heart? In his heart is not a loss of hope in the Messiah. In their casual reading of the Bible, some have suggested that while in prison, where John was at this time, he may have become discouraged, as some would call the dark night of the soul. And even people have written about this, suggesting this of John. With such a posture, they hear John the Baptist saying, here I am in prison for speaking of Jesus. Poor me. I will likely die in here. Where is God? Disappointment, they suggest in John. However, as we look closer at this passage and John's question of Jesus, 
it is clear that John has not lost hope in the Messiah. The issue is not a loss of hope in Jesus, but whether Jesus whom John is hearing about is the Messiah in whom John the Baptist has placed his hope. Stay with me in this thought for a couple of minutes. Throughout Scripture, the Christian is called to place their hope in Christ. The Christian is called to continue to cultivate this hope in Christ. You find this in many places in the Old and New Testament. For example, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes to a community of Christians saying, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And a little bit later, he says, it is to one hope you were called. The Christian is called to live a life that reflects their continued hope in Christ. That is a worthy Christian life, to continue to place one's hope in Christ. In Romans 5, Paul goes on to talk about the winnowing work that Jesus does to grow our hope in him. He writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a hope that is secure. Christ's sacrifice in the cross is our peace, and that hope in his peace and sufficient sacrifice is a hope every Christian has, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, both now and even more future. But then Paul continues, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, or hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While hope is given as a gift of grace to us through Christ, Jesus intends to mature this hope in him through various sufferings, which in Hebrews is called God disciplines, in 1 Peter and James is referred to as various trials. When the, what is in the heart of Jesus when he says, uh, wait, uh, various trials, such sufferings grow in us Christ's perseverance, mature us in Christ's character, strengthen us in Christ's hope, and lead us to know the depths of God's poured out love in us. While John the Baptist did not lose this hope in Christ, each of us faces the daily great and grave danger to lose the daily practice of this living hope in Christ. Many of us could give examples of people in our circles of fellowship who live without hope, including Christians who once practiced hope in Christ, but now live without such hope in him. Christ came to rescue us from a life of hopelessness and bring us in to an eternal life of living hope. Like John the Baptist, whatever our circumstances, we can continue to grow in our hope in Christ. Let me give you two examples of such hope-filled living that I hope will encourage you as a community deeply. 
The first example comes from our older adults. It is easy to see in an older adult, and for that matter, someone of all age, if they are living without hope in Christ. Life becomes dark or filled with cynicism. The world becomes fretful or wrongly carefree. Worries and fears dominate one's mind. Grumbling and complaining and slandering become dominant features. Preoccupations reduce the person to an increasing smallness in their posture toward themselves and others. This is why a core passage for our older adult ministry here at First Alliance Church is Psalm 92. In this psalm, the psalmist says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. The Lord is upright. The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. This picture in Psalm 92 is of one who continues to hope in Christ, flourishing like a palm tree or a cedar, active in the community of God's people, still bearing fruit, whatever their age, staying fresh and green, proclaiming to themselves and to others that God is their rock. Many of our older adults here live such hope-filled lives in Christ. With this in mind, I am so eager for the coming season of ministry as all of our older adult ministries intentionally extend this hope in Christ to the many older adults in the Lamoureux community who live without such hope. They are down your hallway. They are in your laundry rooms. You meet them in the mall. You see them in your restaurants. They are near us. And Jesus is calling us to bring us near him. Second example comes from a man stepping into servant leadership in our Iranian community, a community that is in gospel partnership with us and is also maturing in their hope in Christ. A few months ago, a man started coming who had been part of an Iranian church several years ago as a new Christian, but stepped out when the community displayed chaos rather than the peace of Christ. He decided to study the Bible on his own. Soon after, a group of 20 to 25 people asked him if he would lead a weekly Bible study with them. Even though he was a new Christian, even though he had and has a full-time job as an accountant, he said yes. So for the last 10 years, this group of new Christians has met together weekly on Friday evenings in a home in Toronto and have walked through books of the Bible 
one chapter at a time, verse by verse. They have now completed all the New Testament and one half of the Old Testament. And they go back and forth, New Testament, Old Testament. Their fellowship has grown. Their appetite for Scripture has matured. Their prayers have deepened. Their hope in Christ has increased. This past Thursday, I met with this man as together he and I, with others in this community and that community, prepared to start a Bible study for our neighborhood in Farsi and English and maybe Arabic around the Gospel of John. We shared scripture together. It filled me with delight as we sat in this busy McDonald's restaurant filled with Muslims from many different backgrounds to see his overflowing hope in Christ. Here is a man who was a brand new Christian 10 years ago. I said to him, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. John the Baptist did not lose his hope in the Messiah. Such growing hope is a mark of the Christian. So what was in the heart of John the Baptist leading to his question, are you the one who is coming or should we expect someone else? Is it possible? As John heard the ministry, heard about the ministry of Jesus, he, like others, was hearing about this Jesus who was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners to the point that people were saying about him, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Was it wrong for John to ask the question, are you the one who is coming? Or should we expect someone else? Such grace? Is this God's way? Is this right? Is this what the Messiah is to say and do? John the Baptist ran the risk of being offended by this lavish grace of Christ. Luke makes sure we do not miss this extravagant grace that Jesus demonstrates. In the next episode that we'll look at in a couple weeks, weeks Luke will tell us the story of a woman of the city, a sinner who comes to Jesus while he is eating dinner in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. She slips in, uninvited, wets the feet of Jesus with her tears, wipes them with her hair, and anoints his feet with costly perfume. She pours out her hope and love in Jesus. Even as the host judges her and Jesus, Jesus welcomes her, extending to her his grace. Jesus says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the danger that all of us face. The lavish grace of Jesus is simply too good. So what is in the heart of Jesus when he says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus at a time when Jesus is speaking and acting the good news for which he came. They stay long enough to see this lavish grace and to hear this good news. Jesus responds to the question of John in a very simple way. 
Jesus responds to our questions in the same simple way. Jesus says to tell John what you see and hear. Our questions about Jesus are answered as we look to Jesus. Look at what Jesus does. And keep looking. Look at what Jesus says. And keep hearing. Bring to Jesus your questions, as John the Baptist did. Begin to follow Jesus with your questions, your doubts, your fears, your disappointments, your longings, your thirst. In Luke and Acts, Luke makes it clear that the ministry of Jesus that is recorded in the Gospels continues today in his church, through his people empowered by the Holy Spirit, in his kingdom as he carries us into the world and in the world that belongs to him. The only difference is that now, because of his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus has been given all authority over heaven and earth to complete his mission of reconciling the world through him. We can truly say about Jesus, How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. So as we now conclude this first half of this passage and prepare to come to communion, let's take a few moments to consider what possible winnowing work Jesus may be doing in you as you see his ministry and as you hear is good news. Let me suggest just two areas among many where Jesus may be winnowing you, separating the chaff in you from the fruit of hope he is forming in you. The first area is about hope. Is Jesus asking you to consider, where is my hope? In what is my hope? Has your hope faded even though you still go by the name of Christian? Is your hope faded, brittle, tired, worn out, once fresh, but now dying? Maybe you need, as we come to him in communion, to bring your hopelessness to Jesus. Maybe you've never had hope in Jesus this morning. The Bible describes our life before we accept the good news of Jesus as without hope, separated from God. Maybe it is time for you to pick up and read the Bible, to join one of many discovery Bible studies we have here, or join one somewhere else to learn, to see, and hear about Jesus. As you gather around Jesus through his word, the Spirit of God will awaken hope in you for Jesus, as it did in this man and the small group that's met for 10 years. His promise remains true. Whoever is thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. 
and out of you will flow rivers of living water. And maybe as it relates to hope, this morning you need to simply give your life to Jesus. As you taste his grace, the Spirit of God may be leading you to place your trust in Jesus, to begin your life of hope in him. I mentioned two areas where I want us to consider whether Jesus might be winnowing us. The first is in the area of hope. The second is in the area of seeing and in the area of hearing. Is Jesus asking you to see and hear him more and longer and better to grow your hope in him. I have found consistently and internationally that those who continue to hope in Jesus are those who regularly take time to see and hear Jesus. They eat from his word alone and with others. They, got, they join with God's people to delight in how he is working in their lives. They place themselves in settings where they mature in seeing and hearing Jesus. Jesus says, tell John what you have seen and heard. In communion, we see and hear Jesus, we remember him, we proclaim him, we stand in his lavish grace, we hope in him. I would like to invite those serving communion and our worship team to come as we celebrate his lavish grace in communion.